Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11 o'clock a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 12th day of the 12th month of 2023. That's got to be some kind of numerology. This is episode 832 of Bitcoin and lots of stuff to cover. Gonna dive right in. World's first. Bitcoin bonds receive regulatory approval in El Salvador. Ladies and gentlemen, the volcano bond is apparently coming to life. Not exactly sure, you know... What what will happen to this thing? It's been delayed and delayed and delayed, but apparently some sort of regulatory body somewhere in El Salvador has said, yes, let's find out more. Shara Mala from Coindesk <clears throat> has it all for us and more. El Salvador's long-planned Bitcoin bonds have inched closer to reality after apparently receiving regulatory approval For an early 2024 issuance, the country's Bitcoin-focused office posted on Tuesday. The bonds are set to be offered on Bitfinex Securities, a regulated division of crypto exchange Bitfinex. Quote, the Volcano Bond has just received regulatory approval from the Digital Assets Commission, El Salvador's National Bitcoin Office, posted from its Twitter handle, quote, We anticipate the bond will be issued during the first quarter of 2024. So within the next three months, ladies and gentlemen, President Nayib Bukele apparently confirmed the approval on Twitter, posting, quote, when Volcano Bond early on Tuesday and reposting several posts that said that the bonds would be issued first quarter 2024. The so-called Volcano Bonds were announced in 2021 by President Nayib Bokele shortly after he passed a law recognizing Bitcoin as legal tender in the country. His target was to raise $1 billion via the Bitcoin-backed bonds, seeding a Bitcoin mining industry reliant solely upon renewable energies, including that which is generated by the country's active volcanoes, (coughs) of which there are many. Issuance was initially planned for March of 2022. Let's say that again. They were going to release these back in March of last year, but they were postponed several times. However, the digital assets bill was finally introduced in the Legislative Assembly at the end of November 2022, where Bukele's party, Nuevas Ideas, has a large majority. <clears throat> now, here's the rub. Actually, it's not the rub. Here, This is the most important part of this story. 62 legislators voted for the law, only 16 voting against it, and the law was finally passed in January of 2021. The development is the second major Bitcoin-focused move in as many weeks. Earlier, El Salvador kickstarted its Freedom Visa program, doling out residency to a maximum of 1,000 people annually who invest at least $1 million worth of Bitcoin 
or Tether stablecoins. So the Bitcoin law, I keep forgetting just what a majority they had when they passed that thing. Now, I would have liked to have seen, you know, a little bit more about the ins and outs of the passing of this or the legalization, as it were, of these volcano bonds from deep within El Salvadoran territory. Because I've never heard of some of these things before. This office of whatever the hell it is. What did it say? Um, Digital Assets Commission. You know, it's it's not, I mean, the only thing that I think that I know about the, quote, Digital Assets Commission is that it is within the legislation or the legislative branch of the El Salvadoran government, that it's not some kind of external, like, you know, offshore regulatory body. So now it looks like that El Salvador is actually set to be able to release these bonds and they will be available on Bitfinex, assuming Bitfinex is still alive because of the ramblings going on by Focahontas. And I, I call her that, and I know that that's like, oh, you're a Trump tard. You might like Trump if you're using that word. She lied about her heritage. She straight up lied about her being a Native American. Nobody should be forgetting that. Nobody. Warren, Elizabeth Warren, is a liar. She lied to everybody. She probably even lied to herself. She probably actually, at one point or another, thoroughly believed that she was way more Native American than she actually is. But when the genetic test came back, which she released to the world, it became very evident just how much she is not related any more or any less than anybody walking around the streets of the United States today. She lied about it and she's on a freaking tirade. It's just terrible. But getting back to the bond thing, will it do all the things that Nayib Bukele wants it to do? I don't know. And neither do you, neither does anybody else. So he's got two front. He wants these bonds to raise $1 billion. Okay. Well, if this whole freedom or what, what did he call it? I think it's like a freedom visa or freedom passport or some such shit like that. Freedom visa. That's it. The freedom visa program that I told you about yesterday 1,000 people who invest at least $1 million worth of Bitcoin a year. That's a, so that doesn't say it here, but last yesterday, I did, it seemed to suggest that that was every year. That's $1 billion. 1 million times 1,000 is $1 billion. So, I mean, if, if the volcano bonds are only supposed to raise $1 billion and now he's got the Freedom Visa program going on, it makes me think that he's not putting, or El Salvador is not putting as many of their eggs in the volcano bonds basket and that they're trying to spread this thing out. I'm not trying to put, you know, to, I don't know, rain on anybody's parade here or make the Easter bunny, you know, cry in the middle of the Easter parade, but I've got to be a real a realist about this. The whole bond program was to raise $1 billion. Now the Freedom Visa program is wanting to do $1 billion every single year. 
So we got to figure this one out. And the only thing that I can figure, the only thing that makes this like not, not to where they're like, you know, where it looks like the El Salvadorans are trying to take the weight off the volcano bombs for their fundage is if it's 1000 people on the freedom visa in total, not every single year. Yesterday's story, it said every year it was going to be a thousand people limited to a thousand people per year. But I, this one doesn't, this story doesn't say that at all. It just says 1000 people at $1 million worth of Bitcoin or tether, by the way. So we'll have to see how this goes, but it does look like the volcano bonds are going to be released. Um, well, <laughs> first quarter of 2024. So things are moving rapidly. And like I was saying about Focahontas, here we have it. United States Senator Elizabeth Warren introduces a bill to crack down on Bitcoin and crypto. And boy, howdy, is it a doozy. Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman writing, Today, United States Senator Elizabeth Warren introduced legislation. It's actually introduced. She introduced it. It's done. Introduced the legislation to address her concerns surrounding the alleged misuse of digital currencies in illicit activities citing money laundering drug trafficking, sanctions evasion, and more. Probably the children in some kind of terrorism or something like that. Who knows? The bill, supported by a coalition within the Banking Committee, (coughs) (coughs) marks a significant push for increased oversight and regulation within the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency sphere. Citing risks associated with cryptocurrencies, Senator Focahontas Warren Stress that digital currencies are used as an avenue for criminal activities and that must be addressed through stringent regulatory frameworks. Quote, the Treasury Department is making clear that we need new laws, new brand new spanking laws to crack down on crypto's use in enabling, here it is, terrorist groups, rogue nations, drug lords, ransomware gangs, and fraudsters to launder billions in stolen funds evade sanctions, fund illegal weapons programs, and profit from devastating cyber attacks, said Warren. She further quotes, I'm glad that five new senators are joining the fight to take action, including three members of the banking committee. Our bipartisan bill is the toughest proposal on the table in cracking down on crypto's illicit use and driving regulators more giving regulators more tools in their toolbox to basically screw you over as somebody who just wants to go fishing and have a business of their own. I mean, you know, fuck you. You're a pleb. Who gives a shit about you? Senator Warren's bill aims to mandate stricter reporting requirements by extending the, here it is, Bank Secrecy Act responsibilities, including know your customer requirements, filing reports on transactions involving unhosted wallets, and more all in an attempt to close, quote, loopholes and bring the digital asset ecosystem into greater compliance, end quote. This bill is endorsed by Bank Policy Institute, the Massachusetts Bankers Association, Transparency International U.S., Global Financial Integrity, National District Attorneys Association, Major County Sheriffs of America, those are the assholes that call you, and want you to give $50 to their association so that you can get a sticker so that you can think you're not going to get a ticket when illegally parked. And it's all bullshit. The Massachusetts Sheriff's Association, 
the AARP, the Association of or American Association of Retired People. The AARP are in on this shit. The, are really talk about reaching the National Consumer Law Center and the National Consumers League because, you know, consumer reports, I guess, I whatever. The proposed legislation comes at a time when the popularity and adoption of Bitcoin has surged worldwide particularly in the United States. As next month, the Securities and Exchange Commission will have to make a decision on whether to approve the United States' first spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund or not, which, if approved, could see massive institutional and retail demand for BTC. Last Thursday, Senator Warren went live on CNBC claiming that North Korea is using Bitcoin and crypto to fund nearly half of its nuclear weapons program. I contend that that is most likely complete and utter bullshit. It's complete and utter bullshit. She's a liar. She's a liar. They don't know. There's no way that they could know. It's impossible for them to know. This has to stop at some point. And I don't think it's going to stop all by itself. It's not going to be like, you know, the dog that is so sick in its bed, barfing all over itself. You know, at least that will eventually die. This one, this one doesn't die. Not without going to the barn and putting that son of a bitch down with a 12 gauge. I I don't know how else to say it, but it's going to be external actions that take care of these worthless babbling, drooling geriatrics so that the world can actually move ahead. You know, I used to all, I always used to think that the whole notion of quote unquote lizard people that were aliens masked as humans that have somehow infiltrated the world's most highest, the highest echelons of power. I always thought that that was just way, I mean, even tinfoil hattery that even I wouldn't engage in. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, I'm pretty open to some shit now. Now I'm starting to become open to this because it's the only explanation. And that's probably why so many people actually believe in lizard people ruling the world. Because an actual human being wouldn't engage in any of this shit. I mean, it's insane. New, that North Korea is funding half of their nuclear weapons program with Bitcoin. Really? <laughs> Man, you want to talk about a stretch. That's some tinfoil hattery right there all by itself. But that doesn't make the notion of this Bank Secrecy Act and this new legislation that she's pushing with all the retired people and the you know Sheriff's Association trying to push this bullshit and it gets even worse. And I kind of wish that Nick Hoffman had mentioned it, but as a node runner, I am quote unquote, a transaction validator. I have a mempool because I have a Bitcoin full node. It's sitting right next to me. It's the size of the Paul. I can fit the whole son of a bitch in the palm of my hand. And it's a full bank. When you get right down to it, it's a full bank. If her legislation goes through and she's never actually passed any legislation herself, she's got some stuff that she's co-sponsored that has actually passed through the legislative process, crossed the president's desk and been signed into law. But her herself, she is batting 0%. 
But that doesn't mean that you don't need to worry about this shit. Because if it ain't her, it's going to be some other moron out there running around trying to make me look like somebody who's funding terrorist activity in the nuclear program, weapons program for North Korea. And that's just not so. I don't know what the hell's going on on my node. I'm not looking at transactions. And because of that, it's filling up with ordinals. But I, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to look for that shit. There's no reason in the world that just because I become a node on a network that I'm responsible for everything that runs through my node. It's impossible to do. And unless they're going to, I don't know, deliver a pull request to Bitcoin Core developers for a way that you can throw a switch on Bitcoin Core and say, filter out the North Korean weapons nuclear program, I then, then you can just forget about me even giving a shit about doing anything. And even if you did that, I would never install it. I'm just saying you need to at least come up with a pull request. They don't know anything about how Bitcoin actually works. So there's no fucking way on the face of this planet that they would be able to come up with a developer or a team of developers that would be able to actually write a functional pull request that would even be considered by Bitcoin Core. It's the, the, the magnitude of what she's trying to quote unquote enforce, regulate, and otherwise staunch down is beyond her reckoning. She doesn't understand. And that's scary that somebody cannot wrap their mind around this. And yet, while it's complicated, it ain't all that complicated. And she hasn't even devoted a team of aides or whatever that they have in their little senatorial offices to go research this shit. Because I guarantee you at one point or another, they'd return to her. Why don't we, why don't we build a pull request and send it into Bitcoin core? And they haven't even done that. It's just the whole fucking thing is beyond the pale, man. But BlackRock, BlackRock is just moving right on ahead. They don't give a shit. They're sort of like a honey badger themselves. But before I do that, let me go over here to the chat in Zapstream and thank Freedom for the 2,100 sats. I want to thank Kid Warp for the 2,100 satoshis. Yegro with your 69 sats, thank you. I appreciate it. All of you guys are fucking awesome. So let's do this one. Now, we just came out of Elizabeth Warren getting her panties in a snit and, you know, basically like unloading in her drawers because she's so scared that she's not going to be able to do insider trading and make her even more wealthy than she already is, we have BlackRock standing right up against this shit, even though you know they're not against it, right? You know that. But seemingly, it looks like it because of this. Coindesk, Ian Allison, is writing this one. BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF is now inviting participation from Wall Street banks. Yep. They've put in a rule change, I guess. Let's get into it. A change to the mechanics of BlackRock's proposed spot Bitcoin ETF has now opened the door for Wall Street banks, which face restrictions holding cryptocurrencies to play a key role. BlackRock recently made it so authorized participants, a vital part of the ETF ecosystem, will be able to create new fund shares with cash rather than only with cryptocurrency. As highly regulated U.S. banks are unable to hold Bitcoin themselves by law, 
This setup would enable the likes of J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs to act as APs. I, did we say what an AP was? Okay, Associated Partners, who knows? Act as APs to BlackRock's ETF. Whether they want to is another matter entirely. The cash APs use in this process can then be exchanged into Bitcoin by an intermediary and warehoused by the ETF's custody partner as per a memo relating or filing relating to a November 28th meeting involving the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, BlackRock, and NASDAQ. We might want to come back to that one. Optimism has grown that the spot Bitcoin ETF will soon be approved by the SEC, which would be a game changer for the digital assets industry if it lures in a flood of money from retail investors. And institutional, by the way. A commonly held view up until now was that APs would be large market-making firms with experience in crypto such as Jane Street, Jump Trading, and Virtue, not banks. But the change means that banks could get a cut of the action and broaden the ranks of liquidity providers. Quote, if the SEC accepts this revised dual model of create and redeem with cash and physical, that means the liquidity that supports the ETF shares when they trade would actually be increased. Because obviously you have more potential APs as part of the process. CF Benchmark CEO Shui Chung said in an interview, uh, and, quote, and although trading firms like Jane Street, etc., are large and experts, they fundamentally don't have the trillion dollar plus balance sheets that large American banks have. All right. First of all, let me go back to this thing um, where it says that the cash AP is used in this process can be exchanged into Bitcoin by an intermediary and warehoused by the ETF's custody provider. What is that? Well, that's Coinbase. Yes, that's right. Naked Mole Rats company Coinbase is pretty much the custody provider on record of seven out of the 12 applications that are or 13 or what I think it's, I think it's 13, but seven out of the 13 applications have listed directly Coinbase as their custody partner. So now if BlackRock, which is listed Coinbase as their custody partner, if they do this and now all these other banks get in, that pretty much is going to double whatever Bitcoin needs to be custodied by Coinbase overnight. Because now it's just not massive institutions. It's banks, just banks, just, just not, probably not even the, just the big banks. Because if you've got a banking license in the United States, you're a bank. And what goes for one probably is going to have to go for all. Because I don't see anything about a assets under management cutoff for these things. So they effectively BlackRock just now with this rule change. And I don't know if I can should actually call it a rule change, but that's what it seems like with this rule change. They effectively doubled the amount of potential inflow into a Bitcoin spot ETF. And they also just doubled the custodial prowess of Coinbase. And the bigger that prowess is with Coinbase, the bigger the rug. The bigger the rug. I don't mean to say that everybody will be rugged. I'm just saying that it just gives me the willies. All right. So there, there is that one. Now, 
Google, it with, you know, with all this shit going on, they're preparing for potential Bitcoin ETFs by easing cryptocurrency advertising rules. That's Google. And Sander Lutz is talking about this one from Decrypt. For months, Wall Street titans, financial analysts, and crypto advocates have breathlessly speculated as to the likelihood of the imminent approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF, which could expose the world's top cryptocurrency to untold billions of dollars worth of investment from the traditional financial world. Yay. Now, it appears that the world's top website is weighing in and actively preparing for that day. Google, which, among other sectors, dominates the world of online advertising, has announced that it will update its current prohibitions regarding cryptocurrency advertising to allow for the promotion of cryptocurrency coin trusts, like Grayscales, right? The company's new policy will allow advertisers verified by Google to promote, quote, financial products that allow investors to trade shares in trusts holding large pools of digital currency. The update is said to go in effect on January 29th of 2024. Financial institutions have theorized that the first spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States is most likely to be approved by the SEC between January 8th and January the 10th. While Google has not further clarified whether its definition of a crypto trust would include investment funds like ETFs, the move does seem to indicate that the famously risk-averse tech behemoth is preparing for a future in which crypto-based financial products will become an accepted and mainstream feature of the global economy. Google's advertising policies currently forbid products and services that promote the purchase, sale, or trade of cryptocurrencies, including DeFi protocols, initial coin offerings, token liquidity pools, etc., etc. does do business, however, with crypto exchanges, so long as those exchanges are licensed and in compliance with local laws, as well as being certified by Google. The company most recently softened its stance on NFT game advertisements back in September. Spot Bitcoin ETFs would allow traditional financial institutions and investors to gain exposure to BTC without holding any cryptocurrency themselves. And now you can add banks to that shit. Because when BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, put forward its own application for the Bitcoin ETF earlier this summer, they then amended it, as I just told you, with the fact that now they want to partner up with banks and let them get in on the action too. So there you go. Google, which basically put the put the kibosh on all quote-unquote crypto advertising, has softened its stance. There's a lot of signaling going on here, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of signaling. Now, just because I'm reporting on it does not mean that I am like one of these people that just think that we have to have an ETF. We don't. But I'll tell you who does. The 60-year-old public school teacher who has no clue and is just not going to learn how to get exposure to Bitcoin. They're, they're the people that are going to want this shit. If they know anything about it, and even if they don't know anything about it, their fund managers that do their pension funds, they're going to go, we got to get our people into this shit. It is going to release uh, some amount of money. How much? I don't know. This wall of money shit that people keep talking about kind of drives me crazy because, I mean, I've seen some very small walls. I've seen some retaining walls that aren't any higher than my freaking ankle but it's a wall. 
I've seen walls that come up to about my waist. Not a big wall, but it's a wall. So this wall of money shit, I really wish people would stop saying that crap because it's driving me freaking nuts. But with all that said, we're talking about, you know, now, you know, Google is, has relaxed their advertising stance. And who, who on earth might be the very first people to take advantage of that? Well, it would be Grayscale as they have registered the Bitcoin Trust ads with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Is an approval close? This is out of Coin Edition. I don't know who's writing it because it's coming through TradingView, but it is what it is. Let's just read it. Amidst rising optimism for a spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund, crypto asset manager Grayscale, one of the forerunners in the ETF race, has registered another retail-facing advertisement for its Bitcoin trust fund with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Crypto analyst known as Marty Party, (laughs) welcome to the Marty Party or the Party Marty, noted this development in a recent tweet on Twitter. According to the analyst, the filing detailed on the SEC's website is intended for Grayscale's spot Bitcoin ETF. Why would they do this? Previously, Grayscale disclosed that it intends to convert its Bitcoin trust to an exchange traded fund through the uh, should the SEC come through with an approval. Uh, blah blah blah. We really don't need to know anything else about it. It's here's the the whole the whole thing is this. The whole thing is this. Google announces that they're going to soften their stance on advertising. Okay, they pretty much did that either late last night or this morning, and also late last night or this morning. Grayscale actually files everything that they need to file for their first Bitcoin spot ETF advertisement, which means that copy was already written. Graphics were already done. Materials were put together. This shit doesn't happen all by itself. They paid people to do that. And they pay a lot of money to get that shit done. And usually, from what I understand, people don't just throw money at something that they don't intend to execute on. And now Grayscale has taken the first step to execute on their Bitcoin spot ETF fund by filing all this shit with the SEC. Google has just announced that they've, they've relaxed their ad standpoint on exactly what Grayscale is, a trust. It's just, again, the signaling here, you probably should not, you probably shouldn't, you know, uh, dismiss it as a just fluff or something like that. Okay. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, <clears throat> Oh, uh, Yegro Zapfertisement. This is over on Zapstream, by the way, Zapfertisement. Come join at Yegro relay at Yegro.site. Y E G H R O dot S I T E. Yegro.site. Again, that's Y E G H R O. Go join his Nostra relay. Go get it done. I mean, the guy just gave me 69 sats for an advertisement. (laughs) Honestly, this is badass. All right, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. Uh, Energy is just getting its ass handed to it this morning and has been for the entirety of the last week and a half. West Texas Intermediate is down another four points 
$68.46 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down 3.85% to $73.10. Natural gas down 5%, $2.31 a thousand. And gasoline is down three and a quarter to sub $2 gasoline. And again, good luck finding that shit at the pump. Now, metals are all up, but not by a whole hell of a lot, especially gold, which is up, you know, 0.9%, but it's still under $2,000 per ounce, nineteen ninety five and 40 cents. Silver is up scant. Platinum is up 1.73%. Copper's up a third. Palladium is up 2.09%. Most of the agricultural futures on my board are in the green The biggest winner today is coffee, 1.33% to the upside. No, shit, I missed it. Wheat, it's actually wheat, is your winner today, 2.71% to the upside. And the biggest loser today is rough rice, one and a third to the downside. Live cattle up almost a half. Lean hogs up one and a quarter. Feeder cattle up two thirds. The Dow reaching for new highs because CPI data came in and apparently we're all going to be just fine because inflation is not so bad. Yeah, well, that's whatever, dude. The Dow is up a third. S&P is up a quarter. NASDAQ is up a half. The only loser today in legacy markets is the S&P mini. It is down, but just scant. Now, bonds, all the yields except for the six-month and the three-month have decreased yet one more time. So the 30-year bond is yielding 4.3%. Actually, that's getting kind of low out there. We'll have to see what the Fed does. I don't think, I don't think the Fed is actually going to budge on their, their yield right now. I think that that may come at their next meeting or possibly even the meeting after that. They're going to keep this shit running hot because they're doing their job. They're getting inflation under control. Why change that? Because it looks good for Jerome Powell. It looks good for him. He's doing a fine job. Everybody is going to save us, right? Well, whatever. DXY fallen by a quarter of a point. 103.86 is the dollar index over there on ICE. Now, Bitcoin is chilling out at, um, I'm getting a price of $41,292.75. Average transactions uh, values are 0.82 BTC. Median transaction values are 92 bucks. Block times are still low, 9 minutes, 36 seconds. And that's probably because we had a downward difficulty adjustment for the first time in months. Uh, 0.77 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 116 and a third taken overall in the last 24 hours. We have had a 7.28% increase in hash rate. We are now at 507.4 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator as always is Dogecoin, 9.3 United States pennies. So people still have not learned their lessons about shitcoinery. That's all that number is supposed to tell you. billion is the market capitalization. That is 6.06% of gold's market cap. You may purchase 20.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,567,905.5 of, and 5,014.7 of those sons of bitches chilling out in the Lightning Network valued at $206.7 million. 14,593 lightning nodes that we can see handling all that and 60,925 payment channels 
that we can see. And 80.3% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Now, mempools, as you would imagine, are packed and stacked yet again, this time even higher. 345 some odd blocks carrying 215,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at transaction prices of 66 Satoshis per V-byte for high priority, 55 for low, and anything under 11.5 Satoshis per V-byte going to get kicked out of mempools from around the world. And hash rate for mempool.space is showing 491.6 exahashes per second. So there you go. Now, from Ledger Spies, episode 831, yesterday's Bitcoin and podcast, letter 6173, with another 200,000 Satoshis, which I'm sad to say I didn't get. But that's okay, letter. Really, I don't want anybody feeling bad about that shit. You just keep keep on keeping on. We'll figure it all out one of these days on the other side of the rainbow. I don't give a shit. But he's saying losing out on sats is a bigger risk than using a custodial wallet or liquidity service. You can always transfer your funds to self-custody later. I 100% agree. I 100%. Somebody's going to kill me because they're going to go, I can't believe you t- I can't believe you told them motherfuckers to go over there and, and, and do custodial shit. Yeah, well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the sad fact of the matter is that most people don't want to do the hard. I can tell them to do the hard all day long. They're not going to. Some people will. And if I can only save or at least get, you know, turn around somebody, one person's thinking in my time on this planet, then I will have said that God, that I've done what God wanted me to do. And I'll, I will go to my grave saying, that's fine. Can't save everybody, Right. But what you can do is make damn sure that they get a hold of some sats. And then you've got a little bit of time to get them to do the the hard thing, to get it into self-custody. Letter 6173, I totally agree with you. Mono Red 505 says, keep doing what you do so well. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death, 370. Thank you, sir. If 70% isn't being traded, We are nowhere near true price, right? Right. That's what I'm saying. Most of the tradable Bitcoin isn't actually being, well, actually, most of the Bitcoin is not tradable because it's not on exchanges. It's in self-custody. It's in cold storage. The only price signals that we're getting about Bitcoin right now are owned by the Bitcoin that are owned by idiots that are day trading this shit. It's the worst possible signal ever. It's the absolute worst possible signal ever. But yet, that's where we are, and we are still above $41,000 a coin. So, thank God. User with oh, user 303941712 with 200 says, Ledger is trash. <laughs> uh-huh. Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to talk about Bitcoin right now. Not right now. Anyway, we will later, but I want to read you this from Tri-State Livestock News. Livestock, like moo, oink, oink, 
donkeys and shit, horses, livestock news from the area of Idaho, Washington, Oregon, Nebraska, uh, Wyoming, you know, shit like that, right? Water fight. Federal government sues the state of Idaho over water rights by Sarah Hill from Tri-State Livestock News. I'm going to read the first part of this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read enough of it so that you know what's going on so that you can make your own decisions as to if you ever thought that it's possible that the United States government hates their citizenry. Well, they also hate every individual state. The federal government at this point, not American. Check this shit out. Idaho rancher Paul Nettleton, owner of the Joyce Ranch in Oyehi County, is caught up in a fight for his water rights that could impact ranchers across his state and potentially the entire country. The lawsuit brought by the United States government against the state of Idaho will have far-reaching implications. Paul's great-grandfather, Matthew Joyce, settled on the ranch in 1865, which predated homesteading, the Homesteading Act. This was before the Homesteading Act in that region. The family raised chickens, they milked cows, they provided eggs, milk, and more to area miners. And in 1873, they began raising beef cattle and filed a homestead in 1890 after the land was surveyed. And the family has added holdings since then to build an operation that sustains the family even into the 21st century. Nettleton said his family has used the water in the region far longer than the Bureau of Land Management has even existed as a thing. Yet, the BLM, under the Department of the Interior, attempted to claim ownership of the water rights decades ago. According to Idaho Farm Bureau Government Affairs Specialist Russ Hendricks, the state of Idaho began adjudicating water rights in Idaho's Snake River Basin, which is southern Idaho, in the late 1980s. As is the case with many western states, Idaho's water law provides a right to the beneficial user of the water. During the adjudication process in the 80s and 90s, many ranchers considered claiming their stock water rights on federally administered grazing allotments throughout the state, but were convinced by the federal government to withdraw their claims, being told that the government was prepared for a lengthy legal battle. Only a few ranchers ignored the strong-arming bullying by the federal government, said Hendricks. So, According to Hendricks, the federal government ended up with nearly all of the stock water rights on federal allotments in the Snake River Basin, save for those claimed by Paul Nettleton and Tim Lowry. And this is the one that's called the Joyce case, is the Joyce Ranch. These men entered what eventually was a 15-year battle with the federal government. Eventually, they won their case in the Idaho Supreme Court on the simple premise that the federal government does not own cattle and therefore is not able to put the water to quote-unquote beneficial use. Hendricks explained that the feds then switched tactics and claimed that the United States Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management were actually putting water to beneficial use and that the ranchers were agents for the government. I'm going to pause because this is what's so fucking insidious about this. Let me get, let me just read that again. Hendricks explained that the federal government 
switched tactics and claimed that the Forest Service and BLM were putting the water to beneficial use. And here's the key. The ranchers were agents for the government. He explains that the feds used this argument in the Joyce case, but that the court dismissed the argument being able to see that ranchers did not travel out west to settle with the intention of working as agents for the government. The Idaho Supreme Court eventually found in favor of the ranchers in the Joyce case in 2007, but did not require the government to pay any of the legal fees. Of course not. I would have, but whatever. And the ruling did not reverse any of the rights that the government had already garnered. Quote, we won all the way through the courts, but it cost us a lot of money, said Nettleton. Quote, the government told us at the start, you might win this battle, but we will break you. Well, we're still here. It's cost an incredible amount of money, but they did not break us, he said. Quote, now they are suing the state, saying the federal government should hold the water and not the state. He explained the BLM and the Forest Service continued to solicit ranchers who will sign agency agreements. I'm pausing because this one, you've got to listen to this. You've got to actually, whatever it is that you're distracted by right now, stop it. Listen, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, and the Forestry Service continue to solicit ranchers who will sign, quote, agency agreements, quote, they, the federal agencies, are basically blackmailing and extorting permittees into signing agreements saying that they are agents of the federal government. The Idaho Farm Bureau has urged ranchers to be very cautious about signing such agreements. The good news, according to Hendricks, is twofold. First, ranchers who have signed these agreements can revoke them and gain signatures from the federal agency that attest to the revocation. Secondly, more than one entity can, may claim rights to a certain portion of water, so even if the BLM or Forest Service has attained the right to a certain segment of a river or a stream, a rancher can also claim that area as a beneficial user of the water. And that brings us to the current lawsuit, wherein the federal government has filed suit against the state of Idaho in federal district court, saying that they are being discriminated against. (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. But the federal government is claiming that they're being discriminated against by the state of Idaho. Have you ever heard of anything more fucking weird? (laughs) If you had any thought that these people give shit one about not only you, but about the union of the federated states that make up the United States of America, I hope you've put that thought to fucking bed. Because that ain't true. This proves it. This proves it. They hated the ranchers. They tried to steal their water. And they lost their ass. So now they're suing the state. After all these years. This shit's been going on for a quarter of a century. Longer than that, honestly. They hate you. They hate their own states. At this point... 
I don't understand what the federal government actually does. I'm pretty certain that what's, what's occurred is that the majority of the federal government is now populated at the highest levels by organized crime. Straight up organized crime. Let me just finish this off. Quote, as the West developed, a focus was given to preserving and protecting water sources by acknowledging that those who use the water will give it the most protection says Ivan London, senior attorney with Mountain State Legal Foundation. The foundation are the ones that are representing the ranchers who have intervened in the lawsuit on the side of the state and to protect ranchers' rights to use water under Idaho law. All right, so that's what's going on. United States government versus the state of Idaho and all of its ranchers. That's right next door to where I live. I'm a stone's throw away from the border of Idaho and Washington. I go to Idaho almost damn near every day. Beautiful country, by the way. Lake Coeur d'Alene, if you ever get a chance to go, go. It's beautiful. Northern Idaho, the panhandle of Idaho, absolutely breathtaking. One of the prettiest places I've ever seen in my entire life, and the United States government is suing it from border to border. East to west, north to south. I don't even know what to say about this. Do you really think? You know what I've never seen? Out of all the the forest service lands that I've walked upon, and if you know me at all, you know I've walked upon a lot of them. You know what I've never fucking seen ever once, not once, was a forest ranger setting up a sprinkler to water the forest, or to graze cattle, or to do any, anything, anything like that, that has anything to do with the actual water that's flowing near or over or upon the land in which is claimed by the United States Forest Service. There was a time when the Forest Service and the Department of the Interior actually tried to have the best interest of the United States in mind. Not anymore. They're just agents for a criminal organization at this point. How dare you force a rancher to sign a piece of paper that says that they will become an agent of the federal government? That's, that is some shady shit. That's KGB level shit right there, man. That's beyond CIA crap and MI6 and MI5. No, this is getting into some hard core manipulation shit. I'm surprised that they even let them have this revocation clause in it, but I don't want to belabor this too much longer, but please, please, please go check this out. Uh, It's www.tsln.com is the uh, website for the Tri-State Livestock News. This was released just this month, December the 8th, 2023. So it's probably on their, on their front page, but it's TL, sorry, T-S-L-N, Tri-State Livestock News.com. Please go check it out. Send some positive energy to these ranchers that are out there. KuCoin bending the knee to New York uh, by banning New York residents and paying a $22 million settlement. This is Cointelegraph. And it's written by Tom Blackstone. Blackstone, sorry, I kind of burped at you there a little bit. Sorry, that's gross. 
crypto exchange KuCoin has agreed to pay $22 million to the state of New York and to bar New York residents of, <laughs> from, from using its platform because they hate you. This is what's weird. The federal government hates its citizenry. The federal government hates its own states. The state of New York hates its own residents. How much, I mean, was there a hate party that just had like a, a platter of hate that just didn't get eat up like last year and is just being passed around as leftovers? What the, WTF, man. Anyway, according to the stipulation and consent ordered filed in the New York Supreme Court on December the 12th, yeah, uh, New York residents uh, not going to be able to use KuCoin. According to the order, KuCoin admits that it operates a cryptocurrency trading platform upon which users, including users in New York State, can purchase or sell cryptocurrencies, which are securities or commodities as defined under the laws of New York State, and that KuCoin is not registered as a securities or commodities broker-dealer. In addition, KuCoin admits that it represented itself as an exchange and was not registered as an exchange pursuant to the laws of New York State. They have, users have with it for 120 days, Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I've got a line through my screen that's messing me up reading. KuCoin has agreed to close the accounts of all New York resident users within 120 days and to prevent New York residents from obtaining accounts in the future. In addition, it will restrict access to withdrawals to only within 30 days, leaving the remaining 90 days available for users to withdraw funds. All right. So that's where I'm going to. That's that's where I'm going to stop. So KuCoin is the latest corpse in the pile of, of, of stuff that New York State has reaped upon their citizenry. If you live in New York, I'm, I don't know how you even get money. And believe me, I don't like I think KuCoin, it's a shitcoin exchange. Let's be clear. You know, I mean, it's not like I would go, oh, these poor people that can't go trade their, you know, fourth mortgage on their house away for fucking Dogecoin on KuCoin. I feel so bad for them. No, I actually don't. In this particular case, it turns out that this is probably good for the New York residents. But when you add it in with everything else that's been done, the bit license all by itself has almost, well, actually, I, I don't know if there's anybody left that's registered in New York that does business with Bitcoin or anything else in the space at all. I think they all left. There's maybe one company, maybe, who knows, maybe it's Coinbase. I don't want to give a shit though. But it just goes to show that not only does the United States government hate its citizenry, it hates its own states, the very states that make up the whole reason the federal government exists in the first place, but now at a state level, we find a state hates its residents. And again, I, I, I get you, KuCoin's a shitcoin exchange and it's all the circus and all that stuff. But when you take it together with everything else that New York has done, I wouldn't want to do business with a New York citizen and I'm a United, United States citizen. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with these people. Not because I hate them. New Yorkers are actually really nice. Sure, some people think that they're rude. The reason that they seem rude, it's not that they're rude. They're just living in a fast-paced environment. They don't. They 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 have a completely different concept of how long it takes for them to impart an idea or give you a request. They have a completely different standpoint on how much time that should take. In Texas, it 
you know, it can take quite a while. You might want to chit chat. You might want to ask about the wife in New York City. Fuck that. That ain't happening. You need to be told what needs to be told when you need to be told it. And that's why the people up there seem like they're rude, but they're not. They're actually very nice people. And I would love to do business with them, except that I just, I'm just not. And I don't have business to do with them right now anyway. But if I did, they'd be the last people on my list to do business with because I don't want to get involved with in any of this shit. None of this, none of this makes sense. I don't know what New, what New York, th- where New York thinks it's going to get its money. They're losing the financial capital of the world status. They're losing the entire notion of a business-friendly state. It used to be. Now, forget it. It's gone. Totally gone. Probably because of shit like this. United States House Intelligence Committee's Section 702 reform marks the biggest expansion of surveillance in the United States since the Patriot Act. Because the federal government loves you, don't they? Yeah, that's some tinfoil hattery right there. NoBSBitcoin.com. That's NoBSBitcoin.com. Quote, through a seemingly innocuous change to the definition of, quote, electronic service communications provider, the bill vastly expands the universe of United States businesses that can be conscripted. Conscripted means turned into a federal agent, just like they want to do with the guys that raise meat out in the West. Anyway, U.S. businesses can be conscripted to aid the government in conducting surveillance. Yay! How they love us. Quote, buried in the House Intelligence Committee's Section 702 reform bill, which is scheduled for a floor vote as soon as today, is the biggest expansion of surveillance inside the United States since the Patriot Act, writes Elizabeth Goitein, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. Quote, under current law, the government can compel companies that have direct access to communications such as, you know, phones, email, and text messaging service providers to assist in Section 702 surveillance by turning over all communications of section of section 702 targets quote FBI agents have been using section 702 databases to conduct millions of invasive searches for Americans communications, including those of protesters, racial justice activists, 19,000 donors to a congressional campaign journalists, and even members of Congress quote under section 504 of the house intelligence committee bill, any entity that has access to quote equipment, on which communications may be transmitted or stored, such as an ordinary router, is fair game. But what does it mean in practice? Hotels, libraries, coffee shops, and other places that offer Wi-Fi to their customers could be conscripted to serve as surrogate spies. They could be required to reconfigure or configure their systems to ensure that they can provide the government access to entire streams of communications. Even a repair person who comes to fix the Wi-Fi in your home would meet the revised definition. That person is an employee of a service provider who has access to equipment, your router, on which communications are transmitted. Hold on. You to make sure something. Oh, sorry. I... I'm like a bird. I got, it was shiny. I got distracted. Even a repair per, oh, what's a quote? The bill's sponsors deny that section 504 is intended to sweep so broadly. 
What is the provision intended to do, and how is the government planning to use it? Sorry, that's classified. Quote, at the end of the day, though, the government's claimed intent matters little. What matters is what the provision on its face actually allows, because as we all know by now, the government will interpret, interpret, and apply the law as broadly as it can get away with. If you don't want to have to worry about the NSA tapping into communications at the hotel where you're staying, you need to tell your House representative to vote no on the House Intelligence Bill this week. More on the many flaws of that bill are here, and they give a link clearly. Quote, instead, you should vote for the Protect Liberty and End Warrantless Surveillance Act a bill passed by the House Judiciary Committee on a 35-2 to 2 vote that would reauthorize Section 702 with strong reforms to protect Americans' privacy and civil liberties. All this shit is a complete condemnation of the Fourth Amendment of the United States and the Fifth Amendment when you get right down to it. Because at this point, you don't even have to testify against yourself. Just, your equipment will do it for you, right? No, this shit... It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But but it is what it is. Now for the good news of the day. We're going to end you with this one. Hold on, coffee time. People should just move out of New York. I hear you, Kid Warp. For the guys that are listening on the on the podcast audio only, I'm 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 zap streaming, so I'm I've got some people over here and I like to to appreciate them by saying their names out loud. Okay, now what? Ah, yes, the good news. Seth, over on Noster, has an announcement to make, and I think this is great. And if you haven't used Noster.cooking, you really should go look at it, but you're going to go have to look at it at a different address. I'll explain. The Noster community has been very supportive of Noster.cooking, like, you know, cooking an egg. There are hundreds of recipes We're talking about food here, in case you didn't realize this. There are hundreds of recipes from the contributions of so many talented chefs, creating a resource that makes this Nostra client a unique site that everyone can connect to. We have been learning and exploring how we can make this a better client, and today we start with a small step. By rebranding Nostra.cooking to Zap.cooking, which of course is powered by Nostra. Zap is a dynamic name that represents both the Noster culture and presents an energetic and vibrant concept that is easy to remember and connect to. That's right. It's zap.cooking. That's zap.cooking. It's simple, clear, and actionable. Connecting the Noster community to the rest of the world. We worked with the Daniel over on Noster to create a new logo to complement the brand, which provides a refreshing and memorable connection, especially to the cast iron maxis. Credit to the talented T-I-J-L at T-I-J-L for his development work, partnership, and support, making this open source project become a reality and providing a place for the community to share a culture and connection powered by the Noster. Noster.cooking is now zap.cooking and vice versa. I don't know what that means. I guess it means that they still hold both domain names. We hope you enjoy this new name and welcome your feedback. Appreciate your continued support on this journey. Seth, I had no idea you were the guy that was behind Nostra.cooking, which is now Zap.cooking. But let me tell you a little bit about uh, Zap.cooking 
And when I was, you know, when I see until today, when I saw it, I was using Nostra.cooking, but I will start respecting the new address, which is zap.cooking. You can go put it up your own uh, recipe for something that you cook. Like if you know how to really like, here's the thing about a recipe. My wife is an associate professor at a university and her specialty is technical communication and rhetoric. Rhetoric is the, the ability to form arguments, but techcom, that's instructions and, and a lot more. But instructions, when you write an instruction manual, that's technical communication, right? And after, you know, all the years that we've been together and all the years that I've seen her through her master's degree and her, her PhD, it's become very evident that a recipe is one of the earliest forms of technical communication. And having a place where you can store these recipes and go search for recipes and put up your own recipes is a high quality use of a resource. But it's difficult. You think you know how to make something, and you do. You've been like, let's say you've been making Spetzel, you know, little German dumplings for years like I have. Now go write down the instructions and just and see exactly how much it is that you're doing that you never really thought you were doing because you just execute it. You go, I'm going to make Spetzel. I need some, I need an egg, I need some flour, I need water, I need a, a mixer, and then I do all this other stuff. But when you actually sit down to write the instructions on making Spetzel out, it is wow. You start realizing just how much stuff goes into something as simple as making Spetzel. Now, multiply that by every dish that you've ever had, even if you're making freaking tacos. It's not just about the ingredients. It's also about the technique. And imparting the technique through the written word is one of the hardest things that you'll ever do. If you want to learn how to write and write well, and impart in the fewest amount of words, the most amount of information, learn how to write a recipe. You get good at that, and you'll be able to write instructions for anything if you even remotely understand the thing that you're writing about. Please go visit zap.cooking if you've got family recipes that you want to share, or even if you want to say, you know, might as well have a backup for these things, go get them in. Go over to zap.cooking and guess what? It's your Noster login. It's your inpub. And your in, well, your insect. Please log in using something like Get Albi. Don't just don't just copy and paste your uh your private key. That's always a that's bad form. It's not that uh browser extensions are are, you know, completely safe, but it's definitely safer than copying and pasting your Insec, your 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 private key for Noster. But once you're logged into that shit, you, you, that's it. That's your login. There's no email. There's no phone number. There's no address. There's no credit card number. There's nothing. And you can zap the recipes, recipes that people like. Those people can zap you for your recipe. I mean, this is this is what when you get right down to it, this is one of the prime examples of not only what the internet should have stayed, but actually was at a point in time. But then it got captured by Google and Apple and Microsoft 
and you name it, and you name it number two, and you name it number three. Whatever companies you want to put into one, two, and three, fine by me because they're all in it for themselves. Noster is a representation of what we can become and how we can teach each other to do the things that we didn't know we would be able to learn. Teach people how to weld. Maybe one of these days there will be a Noster trade school. I don't know. It teaches you how to fix air conditioners. Go ask Roya about that. She's on Noster. She fixes air conditioners. Maybe she could design a class to teach other people how to do maintenance on their own shit and what kind of equipment they would need and how much it would cost and how you would use it. You know, and maybe and maybe because it's just an insect and an end pub, if somebody decided to be a complete dumbass, gets themselves hurt, they can't sue her. You didn't follow instructions. It's not her fault. Liability claims are cut off because just good luck trying to find out where I live through my insect. I don't know, man. Anyway, I think that this is all important. So again, zap.cooking, please go visit zap.cooking, zap.cooking, and tell Seth that I sent you over there. I don't know, maybe he'll flip me some sats. Um, Is there anything else that we need to do today? I guess I should probably look for uh, a joke. I didn't do that. Dad says jokes. Let's see if I can still get into, into Twitter. And I call it Twitter because I will never call it what that idiot wants me to call it. What's the worst thing you hear your surgeon say during the operation? <laughs> Literally anything. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.